Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions. But of course, as a kid, when you don't know the story, you make up stories. And the first story is maybe about you not being good enough or someone not wanting you. And those sort of narratives in your mind, it manifests in acting out in school, you know, not choosing the best relationships. And I went through all of those stages, especially in high school. Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years? We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm Akasa, a court-appointed special advocate volunteer for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know, it's a mouthful. In the same way Akasa works, I explore all things in the foster care maze, by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, really anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA. A few years ago, I was in a darkened screening room at USC watching a very beautiful movie, Night Comes On. I couldn't remember the name of the movie and the recording, but Night Comes On is what it's called. Written by a Peace for Kids alumnus, Angelica Nwandu. And when the lights came up, I saw this beautiful woman seated to my left. And I was just struck by this emanating grace coming from her, as if she were lit up from inside. And then we got to talking, and her story blew me away. Here she is, Megan Green. Hey, I'm here with Megan Green. Hey, Megan, thanks for getting on and coming to my podcast all the way from across the world, right? Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, so where are you right now? So I'm currently in Accra. I'm in Ghana. Wow, and so what is that like? Well, it's very beautiful. It's I've been living in Cape Town for the last year, so it's just really great to see a new country and to get a taste of what I've been told is the real Africa because Cape Town's very westernized, so it's different, but it's very um it's just great. A lot of culture, great food, great people. Yeah. And I've seen your pictures on Instagram. It looks like it's a paradise. Is that how it really is? Or are you just presenting really well? I'm presenting very well. But like most places, they have places that are like paradise and some places that are not. But for the most part, anywhere you live and there's beautiful palm trees and you have access to the ocean, that's a paradise for me. Yeah, I agree. That's how I feel about Southern California. So can you tell me a little bit about who you are, how you were raised. I know you're from Philly. You know, I'm from Jersey, so just up the road from where you were raised. But tell me about your life when you were little. Yeah, so where would you like for me to go specifically? Well, what's your first childhood memory? Do you have that? Well, my first childhood memory is me sitting in a pink chair. My my right arm is tied to the right leg and 
my left arm is tied to the left leg and I'm getting beat. And that's honestly my first memory in foster care. But thank God it didn't stay that way. Um, yeah. Who was beating you? Your foster parents? It was, so I was taken from the hospital. So the first home I was in, it was, I believe it was my foster mother's husband. So I believe it was my stepdad, but this was all before the age of four. So the memory's blurred, but that's one memory that's always stuck out for me. And you were removed from that home. How do you know how that was? How it was discovered that you were being abused? Well, I'm not so sure if it was discovered, but I was removed from the home because, and this is where it gets beautiful. Um, my brother Ivan, he was in a foster home in South Philadelphia, and he kept telling his mom that he had a sister, and they went to look for me. So I went to visit. The home he was staying at a few times before ultimately I was able to live there long term, and she adopted uh, both of us. So he was just a little kid too. How much older was he that that at that time? Maybe about five or six years older. So, yeah, and I don't remember this at all. But he remembered his beautiful little sister, and he kept on asking for you. Yeah, he said he knew he had a sister. And um, yeah, what's funny is later along in life, I learned that he actually wasn't talking about me because I never made it home to, from the hospital. However, I do have, after I turned about 24, I found out I had other sisters. So I have a younger sister that's about maybe 18 months to two years younger than me and um, a younger sister that's about three years younger. And he was remembering an older sister, right? Yeah, he was remembering a younger sister, but it just wasn't me. It was one of us, oh, but it still right. worked out. <laughs> it still yeah, worked out. And, right, and you actually have a lot of siblings, right? Even more than me. I come from a family of 10. Oh, wow. But you have even more, right? No, 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 I don't. Well, to be honest, so I grew up, and I was in foster care until the age of four. And probably about right before I turned five, I got adopted. And my mom, because she had lost her children, she wanted to take in foster kids and adopt. So we always had a big family. And I grew up with my cousins feeling like my brothers and sisters. So I, I don't have 10 siblings, but it's always felt that way. Yeah, yeah. It's a good feeling. Even if it's just a few, it's a really good feeling. So how was that home? How was how was that with the woman who adopted you? And also there was a, she had a daughter whom you called Auntie, right? Yeah. So my mom, she was maybe over 65 when she adopted us. And um she had a large family herself. So her niece, who I call my aunt, actually took me in her home. And I was going, I grew up going back and forth from my aunt's house to my mom's house. And one house was where I was able to be more free. I had a little more um, space to explore. I had um, more children around me to play with. So my brothers and sisters 
And staying with my aunt was a little different. I had my two cousins and that was the home where it was a bit more, I would say more structure and um, yeah, definitely more structure. And that was intentional. I was the only one that went to Catholic school. So they chose to do something different with me. And um, I've heard these words throughout my life of her uh, in the background of her telling me I I needed structure. And um, no matter how much I fought against it, I'm learning now. She was right. Yeah, it kind of paid off for you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like really. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But I I want to ask you about something you mentioned to me some time ago when we first met. And you talked about the shame that you felt attached to being a kid from care. I don't even know how to say it for you because yeah. you were essentially adopted into a very loving family. But still, you, fail, you felt shame about that, right? Yeah, because when it's an open versus a closed adoption, when you know, you're always aware of the fact that you're an extra person, an extra mouth to feed. And I think personally, it added a lot of pressure on me financially. I always felt like a burden. And when I was younger, I was really embarrassed by this, but everywhere I went with my mom, she would be like, oh, this is, these are my adopted daughters. It's my adopted son. And she was really proud of it. And in my mind, all I heard was adopted. And I think when you hear of adoption or foster care, there's somewhat of a stigma around it. And maybe many people might think of it as, you know, this is my, you know, extra daughter or son who I love. But when I heard that, I just heard your mother didn't want you And um, I just always had that stress and confusion. And I always wanted to know what was the story. And I didn't quite figure it out until I was maybe past 24. But of course, as a kid, when you don't know the story, you make up stories. And the first story is maybe about you not being good enough or someone not wanting you and those sort of narratives in your mind, it manifests in acting out in school, you know, not choosing the best relationships. And I went through all of those stages, especially in high school. So you had challenges related to that, even though you knew that your foster mom loved you, but still you had that feeling of, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I wasn't wanted. Yeah. And I think that, you know, my mom had lost her children um, in a very traumatic way. And I think that just a lot of Black families, there's a lot of trauma within the family dynamics. And, you know, for the most part, things were things were good. But I still feel like you had moments where Maybe if she wasn't having a good day, maybe it could have been the anniversary of the child, you know, the death of her child or something. And I just know that when we would get in trouble, it was fair game to just kind of remind us that we were adopted, to be honest, and foster kids. And, you know, we didn't necessarily come from her. And I think that's something I held on to for a while. And I don't even think it was, you know, when you're when you're trying to get kids, especially when they're acting out to 
walk in the straight line. Sometimes you say things and you don't realize how your words can have a lingering effect and become someone's inner voice. So I don't even think it was like an intentional, I, I, I don't love you, but there were many moments where I didn't feel loved and I just felt like a burden. And I know a lot of it was just stories you tell yourself when you have that background. Yes. And so did you ever meet your bio mom and bio dad? Did you ever find out what happened with them? Yeah. So when I turned 24, I was able to actually connect with my younger sisters. And then I was able just to learn the story about our biological family. And I was able to meet my mom. She has mental health issues. And, um, you know, you grow up writing, you know, really thinking about when the day would come, what it's going to be like, what questions you're going to ask. And mentally, I she wasn't necessarily stable enough to have that sort of conversation. But I was able to just like hug her and finally see where some of my features were. And I think that's the best part of meeting my siblings because Believe it or not, I look like the family I was adopted into. So it's actually really scary. So it's great. But when I met my biological family, I was like, wow, this person has my face. And I always, you know, you go to school and people are like, oh, who do you look like? Your mom and your dad. And when you can't answer that, you kind of just put your head down. So it was nice to to meet them and see actually where I get my features from. I've I've never actually met my biological father just because of timing. It didn't allow for it. Um, But for a long time, I wasn't interested, even after I knew he existed, because I was still angry. And um, maybe about a year or two, I decided that I didn't want to hold that grudge. And, you know, people are doing the best that they can. And I think once I started to have some compassion, I was able to let go of that anger and be open to meeting him. It just hasn't happened yet. Hopefully it will when I go home. I'm, I'm sure it was really nice to see yourself in your siblings, because I know I experienced that. And I say, she said that just like me, or she looks just like me when she when she moves her hand. And it's a good feeling even. And so you have it in both families, in your adoptive family and in your bio family. Yeah, but my biological mm. family, my sisters look just like me. My brother who looked for me when I was younger or for his younger sister that it worked yeah. out for me. <laughs> um, I have a younger sister who looks just like him. And it's funny because when I was younger, they would call me little Ivan, which is his name. And um it's funny that she looks more like him than me. So it was just really cool. It was really affirming. It was also at a point where I had relocated to Portland, Oregon. So I was really just exploring myself. And I felt like meeting my family filled a void that I didn't even know I needed. And it was really comforting to go on the journey of just getting to know them better. Yes, I'm sure. And please tell me about your education, because I know you're truly an exceptional individual. So I want people to hear about that. And I want to figure out what makes that drive in you. But why don't you just start by telling me about it? Yeah, so I actually, 
I went to Catholic school my entire life. And in high school, I went through a stage where I was going to get kicked out of the school. And my aunt had to come up to the school. She had to take off of work to make sure I could get back into school. And um, if it wasn't for the principal of my school, Dr. Rooney, and the pastor of my church, his name is um, Father Ed Hollinan. And I was really close to both of them. And they were the ones who advocated for me. So I went from about to be kicked out of the school to them deciding that I needed therapy, that something was going on. How could I be so smart, but fail behavior every year? every semester without fail from maybe since the sixth grade. And um, I feel like that extra support gave me space to turn it around. And by the time I ended my high school career, I was awarded a full scholarship to Villanova University. And Woo-hoo! yeah, I know Definitely. <laughs> and so, yeah, really. Celebrate yourself, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I was awarded a full scholarship to Villanova University by an aerospace company called Precision Cast Parts Corp. And they were based in Portland, Oregon, but the CEO, he graduated from Villanova and they started a scholarship program in Oregon and they wanted to replicate it on the East Coast. So I was the first East Coast scholarship recipient, went to Villanova. I didn't have to pay for anything. And that was the biggest blessing because I've always had to work many jobs. And it was the first time that it gave me freedom to explore my interests, to volunteer, to do mission trips, to do all these things. And um, I studied psychology. I was very close to doing a double major in communication management, but I went to the chair of the communication department and I said, Dr. Hall, I want your job. What do I need to do? And he told me that everything looked good, but I needed to study abroad. So I ended up studying cross-cultural psychology in Denmark. So, yeah, so I did that. Then I graduated in 2013. I relocated to Portland, Oregon with the aerospace company. I started doing an internship for them after high school. And after working in the aerospace industry for about four to five years, I went to grad school. And that led to me studying communication management at USC. And that's where I met you at the screening of um, a very beautiful film. And uh, I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, I just want to go back one second because you have been an entrepreneur since you were in high school. Can you tell me a little bit about that work? Well, when I look back, I realize that I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always had that mindset and I just didn't feel that confident about it until maybe a few years ago. And when I was younger, the first job I actually started doing was You know, when it gets really cold and we have snow days, everyone else took a day off from school and I was shoveling snow all around the neighborhoods with my brother. So it was always a day for me to um, make money. And I feel like I make money instead of hanging out. Right. (laughs) No, exactly. But I've had many odd jobs. So I worked um, at one point I did. I was characters for parties. So I was SpongeBob. I was a lot of different characters. 
And um, <laughs> oh, right. So you would dress up and like work parties. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm actually not that I don't have that personality. But when you're under a mask, it gave me the boost of confidence. I needed to actually dance and be myself. But without yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I totally um, get that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Totally or, get so it. more importantly, what leads to the work I'm currently doing now is I started getting paid to do hair when I was 13. And I was the little girl around the neighborhood who would go around saying, hi, can I braid your hair? And I wasn't good at it at first. And eventually I got much better. And it's been something that's stuck with me to this day. So in high school, I would cut my friend's bangs in the bathroom. And I've always had clients, even at Villanova. I had clients when I moved to Portland, Oregon. I had clients as well. And when I moved to L.A., I actually started an avocado-based product business by accident. People started sending me money before I had containers. And I started this in Portland, but it was great to actually do the product testing in L.A. So my entrepreneur background has always been tied around the hair and beauty space and really trying to figure out what would grow my hair. Right. So so what would grow your hair well and beautiful? Because I, I know your focus is natural hair as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So even when I was younger, my cousin and I, we'd be in the kitchen mixing up eggs and mayo, trying to put it in her, our hair. But we didn't realize that we had chemical relaxers in our hair. So we actually, what we were doing was counterproductive to our goals. So I actually embraced my natural hair and stopped using chemicals and being able to supplement it with natural products led to my hair becoming the best it's ever been. Very thick, just very healthy. And I had never experienced that. So I went on a journey of helping other women and men do the same. Yeah, your hair is really beautiful, and when uh, and I'll, I'll send people to your Instagram pages at the end of this. But your your hair is stunning, and you do lots of different things with it too. So it's not just one look. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's it's just really beautiful. So, and that ended up now uh, being an opportunity for you to give back. So talk to me about crown workshop, cause that's related to this, right. And also motivate vibe grow. That's your brand. That's your lifestyle brand. Yes, absolutely. So my vision when I left the aerospace industry, and even when I was working in it, I always had an idea of a nonprofit or how I wanted to give back to the world. And when people started sending me money for my product, Although I was really scared, I had no clue how to preserve an avocado. I felt that this was an opportunity for me to do the actual work I wanted to do in the world. So Crown Workshop is me fusing my creative and corporate world together in a beautiful way because it's an experience where I take people along a wellness journey And my entry into that conversation is having people discuss their crown and the the importance of their hair and how it influences their confidence. And um, doing hair in L.A. specifically, I would have clients who were over 30, sometimes 40, and didn't feel comfortable with their natural hair. And it made me realize there's a lot of young people who are probably experiencing the same thing. And I know personally 
When I'm not confident, it influences how I show up in the world. It influences the relationships I choose. So I created this experience where we could learn to embrace our hair, understand how colonialism influences our self-image and just unlearning that. And also teaching people how to create products using what's in their kitchen and how to style their hair. So I saw a specific need in the market and I just decided to take a leap of faith and launch it. I launched it in Brooklyn in August of 2019. Then I started doing it in middle schools throughout Los Angeles. I even did a workshop before I actually launched Crown Workshop at Peace for Kids. I was just really yeah, <laughs> Yeah, and I was there. <laughs> yeah, so that was actually before I launched the Crown Workshop. But I've always done professional development work. And I've always, I managed a scholarship program when I lived in Portland. And I was really adamant about people understanding that it's not just a specific skill that you receive. You have to holistically think about your life and the soft skills, the communication and feeling more confident and your presence are all things I'm able to just touch on throughout the Crown Workshop. It's very intimate, um, but it's beautiful. And after doing workshops in LA, I did a a crowdfunding campaign and I did workshops in different townships throughout South Africa because I realized there's a lot of young girls and women on the continent who actually don't have access to the tools, resources, and knowledge needed to care for their crown. And I would like to see a world where women felt more confident. And I want to, I want to see what that would look like if we went to them with the resources instead of waiting because a lot of the places I've gone and where I will be going are the places that are often neglected and places that don't necessarily have access to Wi-Fi and YouTube and all the things we take for granted in the West. I think this is really valuable work that you're doing. And I, I can kind of relate to it a little bit. And this might surprise you, but uh, you know, I've had really great hair my whole life, and I uh, I feel I have great hair, and people have told me I have great hair, and uh, I it's like it's constantly affirmed. And then COVID hit, and it affected my hair. My hair started like breaking off, and I was also swimming, so I was in chlorine. And for the first time in my life, I would I wanted to wear a hat. You know, I I felt. I felt like my hair didn't reflect who I was anymore. And when I think about that, some women, it's mostly women, if they feel that way from a young age throughout their lives, that's a terrible thing. I mean, that's just a terrible thing. So the, the fact that you're out there doing this work, helping people learn how to take care of themselves, take care of their crown, so that they feel comfortable and beautiful. I think it's a wonderful thing. So thank you for that. Thank you. What, I, what I've loved so far about just the whole experience of the Crown Workshop is I tell people self-care meets um, personal development because a lot of time, if you think of your hair, especially if you have a lot of it, especially if you grow up in a society where your natural hair texture is not always reflected and it's not really... Um, what's preferred when people are making you go more to the European standards of beauty. It's cool to help people to see that they can use their time 
working on their crown and working on themselves and to make it a time of peace. And, um, yeah, that's what I, that's what I've really loved the most because I'm very productive during the time that I put in my crown. So as I have my yeah, conditioner, sounds, go ahead. See, I was going to say, it sounds very nurturing. It's self-nurturing and just nurturing in general, right? Yeah, exactly. So just using your time well and just shifting people's mindset to understand it and look at their time with their crown in a new way has been very rewarding and it's actually helped me. So I'm just sharing. I love it. So will you tell me a little bit about what else you hope to do? Because you've accomplished a lot You're very, and you're very ambitious and, and you keep on, you keep on moving and growing. In fact, your, your lifestyle brand reflects that the name itself actually yeah. reflects that. So what's, what's next for you, you think? Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I started, uh, first it was MVG naturals and then it just evolved to the crown workshop. And then I realized that crown workshop was actually developing on its own and it needed its own entity. So I decided to make motivate vibe, grow a wellness brand. And I started to engage startups and their employees and helping them understand just how beneficial wellness education is to their bottom line and how it will influence productivity. So it's been great because the Crown Workshop has always been about wellness and I've created a new product specifically for startups and companies to invest in wellness education. And then I have the other product, which is the Crown Workshop that's specifically about their hair care. And it's been great to be able to, to have those two offerings Within the next year or two, I'll definitely work with uh, different organizations throughout the U.S. I plan on having Crown Workshop experiences all throughout the continent of Africa because I definitely think it's necessary there. A lot of healing is needed. And um, specifically on the continent, we don't, many people aren't really taught to prioritize wellness. And I would I think COVID has shined light on the fact that we won't do well unless we're well. And I'm happy to be a part of that conversation. I just want to note that the beginning of this interview, when you recounted your first memory of being tied to a chair and beaten, and here, here you are now doing the work that you do. How do you account for that, Megan? What is that? Well, you know, I think a lot of my life I would always ask, like, why am I here? I used to wish I was aborted. I just used to always just I couldn't understand while I was why I was going through all of the pain and just experiences. And I feel like God throughout my life has like sent beautiful people to make it much better. And I think that's what like my adoptive family was. And I feel like Every experience I've gone through has led me to this point where I'm very risk averse. I know what it feels like to be in pain and to be sad and to not feel confident and to just really feel low. And I think that I was supposed to go through everything just to learn and kind of hold people's hands through their wellness journey. So it's actually really beautiful to reflect on and I definitely know that all of my experiences were very purposeful, even if I didn't understand them. 
So haven't you found for yourself that, uh, I don't know how to really how to ask this, but well, here, let me just ask something else. So what is the one thing that people would never know about you unless you told them? I have been through a lot and my confidence was really, really low, although I was doing big things in the world because I hadn't really sat with my like childhood trauma and worked through those experiences. And um, I could be smiling in the room one minute and then crying in the bathroom the next. And that was really all of high school, like going to the bathroom and crying. And, you know, sometimes you might look at one thing and you see all of the good, but people don't realize the work that is necessary and has been necessary to get to this point. 10 years ago, I said I wanted to get comfortable with discomfort and oh, did things get uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? So I feel mm. like this is a journey I've been on for a very, very long time. And everything that I do, everything that I'm talking about, it's because I've, I've lived through it. And um, I just think it's so much healing that's necessary in your adulthood that stems from your childhood. And until you do that, you can't be good to yourself or to other people or be in relation with other people in a way that's like healthy. Right. So you've really done the work in order to make yourself more well. Yeah. And it's still continuous. You know, I have things I have to do every day, or if I don't, I might like slip into some sadness, you know? So um, I've started to learn just holistically. I, like, I have to work out. I have to meditate. I have to eat well. When one of those things are off, even if two of them are going well, I start to have very cyclical emotions that influence me and just a lot of things. Right. So what would you say right now to a kid in care who's feeling bad about herself or himself? Well, I would, I would just really suggest that they journal and write about how they're feeling every day. And instead of focusing on what's now, start to write about what you hope that can happen and just start to dream, write about the life you ultimately want, write about how you want to feel, write about what your ideal day looks like. And believe it or not, once you write it down, it starts to materialize, not immediately, but when you can shift your focus on from the present to what you hope to be and find something you can throw yourself into. I've always thrown myself into hair and education. I've always had clients. I've always been in school. So for me, those were always my escapes. It was the one thing I can, can control. So find something you can control and throw yourself into it. I think that's really good advice. In fact, I, I need that for myself <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, like I'm always trying to, I, it's very easy when things don't work out exactly the way you want to be down on yourself. But you're, you're saying, think about what you want, dream about what you want, write it down, really conceptualize it so that it becomes part of your vernacular, part of your imagination, part of your experience, and then it will be your experience. 
I'll tell you one specific example. So I remember being in LA and this is, I did an internship in Cape Town in 2018. So after I'm in LA and I'm just really going through a lot, it's just, things are very hard. It's very heavy. There's lots of things I'm not dealing with. I'm just starting to deal with it. And whenever I would get sad, I would I had this jazz playlist. It's called MVG Mindful Moments of Stillness. And I would play this jazz playlist and I would imagine myself at Clifton Beach in Cape Town. And I wrote in my calendar, move to Cape Town by the time you turn 30. And on my 29th birthday, I got a reminder that said move to Cape Town. And I was at Clifton Beach. So I wow. feel like, yeah, so it, <laughs> it gives me chills. But when I was very depressed and sad in LA, I just focused on like, how peaceful things would be if I was watching the sunset at Cape Town. So I like to daydream a lot and I've always had, and it's really cool when the things I've thought about become a reality and even getting the opportunity to have the crown workshop all around the continent is something that's still mind blowing that it's actually happening. And um, I'm excited to bring people along the journey because it's, it's been quite a journey. Yeah, so I can talk a lot about how much growth and how much work I've done in myself, especially the inner work, but I'm very grateful because God has placed angels in my life all throughout my life who have helped me, supported me, given me what I've needed to get to the next step. So it I'm I'm very grateful for the people who have poured into me and I really would be nothing without them. Right. But it sounds like, Megan, that you also were were open to that. You were paying attention to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you definitely have to be open to receiving it. And one thing I've been great at is just nurturing relationships. I've, ever, I've always been curious about people and it's just led to things. And I feel like without my family and the people who've come to my life at very critical moments, None of this would be possible because high school was hard. Who got me through that? My friends, my family, you know? So every stage you meet people who add some comfort and I'm very grateful for it. This is really great, Megan. Uh, Really, thank you so much. I think it's really inspiring for especially kids uh, who are having a hard time in care to realize that you can dream your way out because you will do your way out your dreams will help you and you can act. Yeah. And don't be afraid to meet new people. I think sometimes you get scared and, you know, you have situations where the people you loved and the people who are supposed to love you may not do right by you, but just be open to meeting new people and having new experiences. And even when it doesn't go the way you want it to, just trust that like God will provide new people and new opportunities and just extract the lessons. Well, you know, that's a perfect example of what happened when we met. We were at that film screening. You were sitting nearby me. You weren't right next to me. And I turned to say something to you and you responded. And then we started talking. And then I learned about your experience in foster care. And I talked about Peace for Kids. And then you came and did a workshop at Peace for Kids and blew everybody away. No, exactly. And I was very triggered by that movie. So I hope you can tell people what it was about. But it was 
um, it was an opportunity. I wasn't comfortable, right? And the moments I push myself when I don't feel comfortable to do something that I know I want to do, it always works out. You always meet someone. You always learn something. So kind of push yourself when you don't feel up to it. Just and let like life surprise you. And life has surprised me in so many ways. And I'm grateful that we get to have this conversation because we've been in connection for a few years now. And you've been able to actually see how I've evolved my business and shifted locations and yeah, it's great that you can meet people who also get to come along the journey. Yeah, I and I really thank you for sharing your journey with us, Megan. It's yeah, totally too. wonderful. Okay, thanks. I love Megan's message. You got to push yourself to do things that are uncomfortable. And more often than not, they're going to lead you to something that takes you to a different place, maybe a better place, but certainly a new place, a new place in yourself and a new place in the world. Megan was there in that darkened USC screening room to watch a very moving but difficult film about foster care and juvenile revenge, about a young woman and her sister seeking vengeance. Megan pushed herself to be there, to take herself to a new place. That very challenge probably took her to a higher place in herself, in the world, and in her life. If you see something, say something. If you suspect that a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process, and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. So if you see something, say something. You might be saving a child's life. I want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful music, Eferisto. To hear more of her music, go to Spotify and Instagram at Christina Apostol. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-A-P-O-S-T-O. I know you want to. Her stuff is really great. And thanks to my audio producer extraordinaire, Marcos Campito. I'm glad I found you. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, please rate us and hit subscribe. <laughs>